Okay, good morning everyone. If I could grab your attention as well. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Adrian. And in a moment we'll continue this series uh, that we've entitled Fruit That Lasts, which I'll explain in a, in a few minutes. But before we get there, I just wanted to talk about handshakes just for a moment. I don't know how you feel about handshakes. I often feel a little bit awkward around a handshake as I never know quite when to do them. And uh, as far as I see it, there's kind of like four different types of handshakes. There's what I call the normal, ordinary handshake, which in a moment I'm going to get everyone in this room to actively participate in doing this. After that, we probably won't do any of the other handshakes, but the ordinary, adequate handshake has an adequate amount of pressure from both parties applied within the handshake and the right amount of timing which is around kind of three to five seconds. As I wonder if you could just turn to someone next to you and just give them a little bit of a handshake, a bit of bodily contact on a Sunday morning. So you can't do it without talking, you see. <laughs> okay. Has everyone managed to shake someone's hand? So as I see it, we've got four different types. First of all, we've got the one that all of you have managed to do very, very well, which is the normal handshake. Adequate amount of time, adequate amount of pressure from both parties. The second type of handshake that I've come to discover is one that I encountered on the first job interview I had in the civil service uh, from a guy called Trevor. Trevor was a senior civil servant, and he greeted me. He was a northern guy in his 50s. I was an 18-year-old looking very silly, and I remember going into his office, and he was about to interview me, and he, he welcomed me with a handshake, and I felt awkward, and then he crushed my hand, <laughs> literally crushed my hand. And I remember thinking, all right, so that's type 2 handshake strong handshake and Trevor liked strong handshakes. I remember throughout the whole of the interview I was shaking out my right hand because it genuinely hurt. When we got to the end of the interview I thought I know how this is going to go down old man and so as he went to shake my hand I crushed his <laughs> and I got the job. Um, so we've got normal, strong, then I'd say uncomfortable. Uncomfortable handshake actually is one that's only uncomfortable if you're of a certain culture. A certain culture that is kind of like me, that doesn't like prolonged physical contact with someone they're not that friendly with or don't know that well. In other cultures, there seems to be an element of intimacy and connection being expressed through that handshake. And so the handshake needs to last as long as possible, probably throughout the whole of the conversation. And so I've been in conversation before, started a handshake with someone, and they don't let go. And I start to think, are we holding hands now? I don't understand. We're holding hands. For them, it's just cultural. They're thinking, I just want to pay attention to you, and I'm paying attention to you by holding your hand. This took me ages to work out. I thought they just really liked me. And I felt very awkward. And I remember trying to jag away, and they'd pull tighter in. I think, all right, okay, there's that one which makes me feel uncomfortable, but I've learned to know, actually, it's a great expression of love, and maybe something more warmer in terms of what a handshake's meant to be, rather than a quick, let's get this one over and get on to talking about something else. So we've got normal, strong, uncomfortable, and the last one that I've come to encounter is the wet fish. The wet fish is one of those ones that you meet someone, and they, they kind of don't really... 
shake your hand, they stroke your hand. And as they stroke your hand, it's, it's just very gentle. And it, and it kind of quickly flows off. And, and you, you kind of feel you want to shake it off afterwards. It's kind of an aftershake of the hand. You, you feel this kind of thing stroke you. And you think, what on earth was that? It felt a little bit like a wet fish. Now, where is all this building to? It isn't kind of some sort of techniques of what sort of handshake to avoid when you get into an interview situation or how should we now formally greet one another as we come in on a Sunday morning as a community. But rather, I think, is actually, I want us to link in to start off with, with the fruit that we're going to look at uh, today in the series we're in, which is gentleness. You see, gentleness, as soon as you say the word, it maybe reminds us a little bit of a wet fish handshake. You see, gentleness, there's a bit of a problem with it. There's a bit of a problem because it isn't something that we talk lots about as a culture. We don't tend to talk lots about being gentle or what gentleness is because it can seem a little bit weak. It can seem a little bit fluffy. Isn't that gentle? It can seem a bit like someone who's a doormat. Oh, they're a gentle person. Wipe the feet. It just feels like something that actually... At best, is a kind of word that we tend to ignore. And at worst, is one that we never want to be labeled with. See, we're in a society that says, actually, you, know, you need to put yourself first. It's a dog-eat-dog world. We don't, we don't have time for people who say they want to be gentle. And yet it's into this society, into the world that we're in, that actually we find that in this life that Jesus has offered us, through his death and resurrection, this life that we've been celebrating this morning through our worship, this life that we're then told through this passage in Galatians, which we'll look at again in a moment, is to uh, express itself through different characteristics or fruits, if you like, of our lives. One of the fruits, it says, that our life will be characterized by through having this new life from Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection is of fruitfulness, uh, is of gentleness. That our life will be characterized by gentleness. But the thing is, as is always the way with Jesus, he always turns upside down what we've known before. And rather than gentleness being about kind of weakness and vulnerability, Jesus reveals a gentleness is actually about total strength and complete security. And my hope is that if nothing else, by the end of this morning, we get to understand one who is gentle, who then allows us to understand what it is for us to be gentle. And that if nothing else, that we leave knowing that gentleness has everything to do with strength and everything to do with security. And in no way is a label of a doormat. And so with that in mind, I want us to start where we've all started as we've looked through this series is our springboard verses in Galatians 5 verses 22 to 23, where in this passage, Paul is kind of revealing what this life in, that Jesus has given us through his life, death, and resurrection looks like, how it's to be characterized, and that it isn't something that we're to will up within ourselves, but rather something that God himself, who is Father, Son, and Spirit, is working within us to lead us into. And so Paul writes this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. So I want us to zoom straight in then. 
on gentleness. I want us to look then, how do we define gentleness? What is gentleness defined as? Well, as we've seen week on week, actually the words that Paul uses in the original Greek uh, in these lists of fruits or characteristics of how they're to look in our lives, actually each label, each characteristic is rich in its original meaning. And the same is true with gentleness. So when we come to the word gentleness, actually what this word in the original Greek combines, and as you've heard week on week, we never quote the Greek words because we don't really know Greek and therefore you just look unsmart if you quote Greek words and not really knowing them. We just know some of the definitions of them. And so how this word is defined is, is one that combines the whole nature of humility, courtesy, considerateness, and meekness. I'll give you that again. Humility, courtesy, considerateness, and meekness. That's what Paul's expressing when he writes this word gentleness. In other words, it's all about how we relate to others. If you like, if you want a working definition of it, it's it's like us living for the well-being of others, of us preferring the well-being of others over ourselves. Now, at this point, you can always get to a point saying, okay, let's then look at how do we live this way. But we come to realize that there's no point rushing to that point. Rather, we've got to understand that these aren't characteristics that we strap on on the outside. That it isn't that we simply say, okay, I'm now going to live like with gentleness. I'm now going to try and live preferring other people's well-being above my own. Rather, we have to start by saying, actually, no, I need to experience this. I need to be transformed by from the inside out. So actually how I act is out of what I've received and what I've known. And so our starting point, having defined gentleness, is actually to say, well, let's look at gentleness revealed. And gentleness revealed is revealed in one who is remarkable, who's Jesus. In Matthew 11, 29, Jesus says this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I don't know if you've ever been into an interview situation. An interview situation, and maybe the interviewer has asked you, how would you describe yourself? And at that point, you're thinking, right, okay, I've got got to describe myself in a positive light. And maybe at that point, you come quickly out with decisive. And and you can see them warm up a little bit. And then you say, actually, I'm not just decisive. I'm I'm a team player. I'm a team player who's not afraid to lead. Covering both bases. You then say, well, actually, isn't just that I am able to lead. Actually, I was born to lead. Not only am I born to lead, I'm a great communicator. And we can see the person on the other side of the desk, the people on the other side of the desk, think, this is the kind of person for us. And Jesus in this situation, what does he do? How do I describe myself? I'm gentle. What? No, no, no. Good communicator. Good with people. No, I'm gentle. I love the accounts of Jesus. When you get to these statements that Jesus makes, where he just uses two words, and then he describes himself. He says, I am, and then blank. And these statements that he makes are just remarkable in how he describes himself. And so you find that he describes himself as, I am the bread of life. In other words, he's able to truly satisfy. He says, I am the good shepherd. He's ultimately after our best. He says, I am the gate. I'm the only way to know God and that he is our protector. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He says that he is life itself and life eternal. He says that I am the light of the world. In other words, he's one that comes and illuminates our lives. He brings clarity and color to everything. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I am with you. He states, you'll never be alone. He'll always be with us. And when you read the accounts, particularly the account of John, he uses this statement, I am, about Jesus. And Jesus says, I am. And then you have these statements. It's just worth investigating. For some of us here this morning, we say, well, you know, it's been nice to look in at what's going on. And I couldn't hold my hand up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm not someone who's put my faith and trust in his life, death, and resurrection. I say, maybe for you, the, the place that you go to next is the I am statements about Jesus. And you start to consider, is Jesus really like this? And what you'll find is in this room, if you quiz people, we've actually come to discover not Jesus as a set of rules, but Jesus in a relationship who has become this I am to them. But here we find that Jesus says, I am gentle. And when Jesus describes himself, he says, I'm gentle. If you want to know what gentleness is, if you want to know what gentleness looks like, if you know what it is to be gentle, then look to Jesus because he is. But in a moment, I'm going to let us look a bit more around the verses that surround this statement of him saying, I am gentle. Because in it, we're going to find and discover there's implications for every single one of us in this room because of his statement to say that he is gentle. But before we look there, I want us to look at, well, how is he described then as gentle? If he truly is gentle, how is it described? And for that, we just need to jump over another chapter into Matthew chapter 12. And in Matthew chapter 12, Matthew, who's the uh, writer of the account of Jesus in this book, kind of originally named Matthew, and as he's kind of writing down, he quotes back something from the Old Testament of a prophet in the Old Testament of what he spoke about, Jesus who was to come, who would save everyone, and how he would be characterized. And Matthew kind of revealing and saying, well, what's Jesus like? He kind of quotes what this prophet hundreds of years before had said about who Jesus would be. He says, well, this is what he's like. If you want to know what gentleness looks like, it's like this. Matthew 12, 20. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Jesus, in his very essence, is gentle in how he wants to deal with you and I, with the whole of humanity, is in gentleness. Why? Because his gentleness describes how he sees us. He sees us as fragile. Now, let's get this box, just in case you hadn't seen it. It's cardboard, and it's just labeled fragile. Now, some of you are immediately going to think, immediately think, what's in there? Nothing. Because there's nothing in there. Because it's an illustration. <laughs> I like that one, didn't I? <laughs> some things just appeal to my humor and no one else's. Um, but anyway, there is nothing in this box because it's an illustration. And in it, what I want us to realize is that when Jesus sees us, he sees us with the fragility of a cardboard box. A cardboard box that's labeled everywhere, fragile. 
Because when he sees us, he knows that we need to be handled with care. And that's how Jesus sees us. He sees us that we are people who need to be handled with care. Handled with care because we can be like bruised reeds. Handled with care because we can be like a smoldering wick. And because he knows we need to be handled with care, because he knows that we are fragile, he therefore acts in gentleness to us. He acts in a way to ensure that he doesn't break what is bruised. He doesn't snuff out what is smoldering, but rather is continuously looking and longing to see strengthened and built up and restored what is fragile. See, Jesus, when he's described as gentle, is because it reveals God's heart to the whole of humanity. The God, when he looks at humanity, he sees a people that he loves and a people that he sees as fragile and wants to reveal his gentleness to. See, it isn't just that Jesus reveals gentleness. It isn't just that Jesus is described as gentle. You kind of just see it throughout the accounts of Jesus' life. When you have to read the accounts of Jesus' life to see that how he dealt with people was that he saw them as fragile. Then you just have to thrust your mind back and maybe some of these stories you've never heard before. Man, go and read them. Start at the book of Mark. It's a short one. Then go to John, as I've said, because you'll find some big I am statements there. But in it, you'll discover this Jesus come alive to you in how he dealt with people, how he was gentle with people. You find a story of where he finds a woman that's brought to him, a woman that's brought to him by an angry crowd, an angry crowd who say, actually, she needs to be punished because she's been committing adultery. Nothing said of the man, just the woman. And was dragged in front of Jesus, and all of them at that point, the punishment was barbaric. It was to stone her. And they're there, the crowd, with stones in hand, saying, let's stone her. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus just pauses and looks and sees a woman in her fragility, in her fragile state, and just looks at the crowd and says, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. And slowly but surely, the rocks drop to the floor, and the crowd disperses. And Jesus comes to the woman, being the only one left who's without sin. And what does he say? Leave your old life. Come and live a new life. And she does. You find it throughout the resurrection story, where Jesus has died and has risen again. And you find his friends are trying to make sense of this. And you, you find Peter, Peter who'd been his loyal friend, Peter who chopped off ears, Peter who's kind of there and is there at the best of times saying, this is who Jesus is. They're at the worst of times saying, no, you can't possibly die, Jesus. Peter, whose foot's continuously in his mouth, who says, I'm there with you to the end. And then Jesus said, I oh, know you're not. You're going to actually say you don't even know me three times before morning comes. Sure enough, Peter does. As Jesus led away to be executed, Peter says, I don't know him. I know nothing about him. Then so in this moment, after a fishing expedition, an early morning breakfast with the risen Jesus, Peter comes ashore and Jesus sees him. Sees him as what? Sees him as fragile. 
sees him as fragile and doesn't kind of hit him around the head. Say, what will you do? He said, I told you you'd give up. But now I'm here. I'm proved right. And he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, I, I love you. You know I love you. He asks him, but do you really love me? And in that moment, a man who denied Jesus three times thought he could never, ever get over it. Thought he would live his life continuously punishing himself for how he'd let Jesus down. Suddenly in that moment, because of his fragile nature, Jesus meets him in gentleness and restores him. Where he denied, he then says in front of everyone, I love you with everything. Jesus says, this is the kind of guy I can build everything from. Then find it with Thomas. I could go on with stories. I'm only going to do these three. Find it with Thomas. He's there and everyone else is saying, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. We've seen Jesus. He's, it was kind of a charm they used to do. I don't know if you knew that. If you, if you read the accounts, it's there. And they say, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. Thomas comes in. He says, uh, uh, I don't think so. You're all a little bit deluded. A little bit excitable, maybe. Thomas, I always think, is like the Brit of the disciples. He's kind of like, yeah, I, I kind of know how this is going to roll. And I think you're all a little bit deluded and a little bit excited. And he says, unless what? Unless I see Jesus, but that isn't enough. Unless I see Jesus, because it could be a cardboard cutout, and actually touch the wounds. Man, how gross is that? I'm sorry, I'm a bit squeamish. He says, unless I touch the wounds, I won't ever believe. Jesus appears. I would love it because Thomas is kind of saying, unless I touch the wounds, and then Jesus is like sneaking up behind. I'm coming, I'm coming. He doesn't say, whoo, because I would have done that. Jesus doesn't do that because what he sees Thomas in his doubt as fragile. And as he's fragile, Jesus meets him and says, Thomas, it's me. Touch my side. Knock yourself out. Touch my wrists. Just falls to the floor. Jesus is you. You're alive. Jesus is one who isn't just described, it's one who we see is gentle with people because people like us are fragile. But it's also not something that we just read, it's also something we get to experience, something that we get to receive. Just take us back to that first passage in Matthew 11. Matthew 11, 28 to 30, where it says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, Jesus, when he sees us as fragile, he meets us in that place. And out of his gentleness to us, he wants to do everything to change us. And how Jesus does that is he, in his gentleness, gives us something to receive. And what he gives us to receive is rest. He gives us something to receive, something that isn't passive, something that isn't something that we just literally just say, well, this is some kind of mystical state of rest. But rather, we get a rest that we get to rest from something. And we get a rest that means that we can rest in something. If you like, it's like we get to sit on a park bench. 
And in this park bench, we get to remember that we're resting from what was behind. And we get to rest in what is in front. See, what Jesus does through his life, death, and resurrection is he affords us rest. There's many different ways that we can look at the cross. One of the ways that we can look at the cross is that Jesus was restless on the cross. And you only have to look at it to see how restless he was in order that he could take on our restlessness, in order that as he's resurrected, he could offer us rest. See, when Jesus offers us rest, as we sit on the bench, what we're able to see, be, understand is behind us what is gone, what we're resting from, is that restlessness. That restlessness that's continuously within us of seeking to work hard to be accepted. Seeking to work hard to try and make ourselves less fragile, less broken. But the problem is, however hard we work, however much we seek to achieve, however many things we do achieve, is never quite enough. And when we actually look at the very core of who we are, we still feel restless because we still feel fragile. Jesus says, no, I'm going to cause you to rest from that. I'm going to take that away from you. But that isn't enough to just have something to rest from. It has to be that we have another way to rest. Jesus doesn't give us something to rest from. He gives us something to rest in. And that's himself. And the fact that through his life, death, and resurrection, we get to know that we are now unconditionally loved and accepted. And in us being unconditionally unloved and accepted, it means that we don't have to do anything to make ourselves acceptable. We don't have to do anything to make ourselves loved. It's that Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has caused that to happen. And so Jesus says, now rest in what? Rest in what I've achieved at the cross that you can now know that you are acceptable, that you are as loved as you could ever be. Rest in that. That's a pretty good place to sit from. Sitting knowing that I'm just as loved as I could ever be. Sitting knowing that I'm as accepted as I could ever be. That's a pretty secure footing. He then says, and rest in my yoke. Ah, I knew you'd get there, Adrian. I knew that you'd get to the point where we've just got to follow some rules and regulations. That's what a yoke is, isn't it? Weighs you down. Now, the whole point of a yoke was, it was a way of expressing, saying, I'm going to submit myself to this person. It was a yoke, a, a way of teaching. See, what it's doing isn't saying rules or regulations. It's rather saying, Jesus, understanding that you've provided me rest that causes me to understand that I'm free from me living for something, free knowing that I'm now loved and accepted. It now means that also that I can say, out of knowing that you've loved and accepted me unconditionally, I can choose to live as you want me to live, knowing that you've just got my well-being at heart. This is all out of relationship, not out of rules and regulations. It's that I get to rest saying, saying, Jesus, you're at the center of everything I am. Not because you have to be, but because it's the only response to who you are. So we get to rest. See, Jesus' gentleness is not out of what he can gain but give. It's not about forcing his agenda but desiring our best. And we therefore get to rest Rest from our need to make ourselves better. And rest in what Jesus has accomplished, of understanding we're as loved and accepted as we ever could be. And that we therefore get to live with him at the center. Which therefore leads us to the final part then. We get to reveal gentleness. As we receive it, we get to reveal it. 
Philippians 4, 5 says this, let your gentleness be evident to all. I love this. There's no kind of, kind of specific nature of it. It kind of doesn't say, you know, let your gentleness be evident to those that need and deserve it. There's no let your gentleness be evident to all. Who's the all? Everyone. What, everyone? Yeah, everyone. So we're to be gentle as we've known gentleness from Jesus. We're to reveal that to others and everyone. So do we? Do we handle with care the boxes that are other people's lives that are labeled fragile? Is that how we live? Do we live doing that? Or are we those that actually, as we get to hear about what's going on in someone else's lives, we just drop it. We think, well, that's kind of nice you told me about this, but now I'm going to tell you the answer to all your problems. Do we seek to speak rather than listen? And I do that loads. I do that loads as people tell me what's going on in their lives. And before I understand, I'm telling them what they need to do. And how valued do they feel when they're just tossed over there? But it isn't just, I think, that we drop them. I think the truth of the matter is the uncomfortable truth that I've had as I've spent time meditating, looking at gentleness, is the truth of the matter is this. (laughs) I trip over boxes. If I do that. As people share their lives that are fragile with me, I stomp on them. I stomp on them by being quick to talk about my agenda rather than understanding where they're at. I think the saddest story I've ever heard is when someone said, do you want to know how fragile I feel? I feel completely broken. And someone said, then why don't you go to the church? They said, well, I feel bad enough as it is. Why? Because to go to the church is you meet a load of people with an agenda and they're just going to trample on you. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just the force of my personality. Maybe sometimes it's just that I want to be center of attention. I walk in and literally walk into rooms, start stomping on boxes. Look at me, everyone. Maybe it's not just that. Maybe it's through my successes. They want everyone to know. I want to say, hey, hey, have you heard about what I've done? I'm like some sort of dog that comes back having retrieved the ball saying, look at me, look at me, pat me on the head, pat me on the head. Like trampling over everyone else saying, look at me. ugly, isn't it? Let's put it back. Because it makes us feel uncomfortable. None of us, I believe, want to do that. None of us want to live lives that trample down the fragile state of others. And so therefore we seek to live differently. We seek to live by resting. We seek to live resting in Jesus, understanding what he's caused us to rest from. That we're not looking ever to earn something. We're not looking to make ourselves better. Why? Because we're in that place of security, of resting in the fact that we're as loved and as accepted as we could ever be. That we continually place ourselves remembering, remembering continuously of the gentleness that we've received from Jesus, therefore the gentleness that we get to reveal. That we continuously live 
reading the labels of other people's lives, reading them, saying, do you know what? I see them, and I see them as God sees them, and he sees them as fragile. So will I. Gone are the days of stomping boxes. Gone are the days of dropping boxes. I just read the label. What's the fourth R? Well, it's die. Is that we die to our rights, our needs, as we recognize that all of our needs and our desires were rec- are satisfied in Jesus, therefore we're able to look to do, look for the best and the well-being of others over ourselves. Living from what? That place of immense strength. The strength that comes knowing that everything we've ever needed is satisfied in Jesus. The strength that comes from knowing that actually our security is sure and fast in Him, that we're as accepted and as loved as we'll ever be. And therefore, in living from that place of strength and security, we're able to be gentle to everyone. Because we're not looking out for what we need. Because we know that Jesus has got that covered. No one ever needs to make a noise about themselves because he has made the biggest one. Therefore, we get to live for others' needs and for others' rights. And I guess where we're left off two minutes to go is this. We get to live and reveal this amazing fruit of gentleness. And to be honest, when we started this series, I thought it was going to be the one that was a kind of like nice fruit. But that's all. But came to realize that it's probably one of the most challenging fruit for us to live with, for me to live with. I want to ask us, are we therefore going to give ourselves to living and revealing it? Are we going to give ourselves to continuously experiencing it? Are we going to give ourselves to revealing it to one another, to the world out there? Because there's a world out there that is desperate to know that they won't be crushed, but they will receive gentleness. I want to pick up finally where we left off at worship as an invitation of a wonderful Jesus who loves us unconditionally and meets us where we're at. Whether we feel like we're like a bruised reed or a smoldering wick, Jesus meets us there. And do you know what? Jesus loves to meet us there and loves to reveal himself who is gentle in order that we could receive from his gentleness rest. And therefore, I want to leave in a moment. We're going to stand. I'm going to pray for us. And then what I'm going to say is, if you want to be prayed for some more, you'll then come forward. And at that point, you'll think, really? Is that because the front's special? No, it's not because of that. It's just because other people are then going to stand with you. Why? In order that you'd understand something more, experience something more of the gentleness of Jesus revealed through someone else to you. And as you get to be prayed for, for some of you, it's going to be prayed for to experience God's gentleness today fresh in the situations that you're facing. For a few of us, it's actually because we've never, ever experienced the gentleness of Jesus. We say, well, actually, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I've, I've never kind of said, Jesus, I recognize who you are. I want more of you. For us today, is saying, do you know what? I want to take this first bold step of saying, Jesus, I want to draw close to you. Jesus, I want to say, I want to experience your gentleness for me because I look and I know, if I'm honest, my life is fragile. Let's stand.
Can we just close our eyes just a way of not getting distracted by others? Jesus, I thank you so much that you aren't one who stands aloof from us, but rather you're one who meets us where we're at. Jesus, I thank you for the wonder that you see us in our fragile state and you meet us in that place. That Jesus, it isn't that we have to better ourselves to meet you, that you come to us. And I thank you that in your gentleness, you come and give us rest. And I pray, Jesus, that we be a people that live moment by moment in your rest, in order that we be able to reveal your gentleness to the world around us. We ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, just while everyone's eyes are closed, just for one more moment. Just different ones of us know that you responded during worship or maybe during as a preacher, you just think, actually, you know what? I just need to know something, experience something more of Jesus' gentleness. I would encourage you now. You don't have to do a really bold thing. You don't have to push past some other people to come to the front. Just space at the front. That's why we come to the front. And there'll be other people who then join to pray with you. But I'm going to ask you to do that. Why? Because no one in this room is looking to crush you. No one in this room is looking to judge you. No one in this room is going to stamp on you or drop you. And so if you want to be prayed for, why don't you come forward now? Thank you. Thank you. whilst these guys come forward there'll be others who come forward now to pray for other people there's a number of people coming so just keep coming just move in a bit this way towards me I'm not that scary I smell a little bit but I'm not that scary um, others are going to come forward now and pray for the rest of us why don't some of you want to come and you could hook up with the guys who are here for the needs prayer team and you can help pray as well but those others of us if you've got kids can we go now and get our kids as I'm sure they're loving to see you if you haven't, feel free to go and grab a drink, or if you want to just watch to see what happens next, you can do. If you've got